0: listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. This is the show that talks about identity and access management and making sure you know who has access to what. Let's get started. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff, and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Oh, not
1: so bad. Yourself? There's a little bit of a delay Good. there, I think. Oh, I don't know. Um, But I was going to say, I just got back from vacation, so I'm not 100% tuned back in um you know i was on vacation at the beach i was rocking the sbf 50 um basically just short of white paint on my skin just to make sure i don't cook in that you know myrtle beach sun which is where i was um but i was talking to you know our old friend so he has part your name and part my name jeffrey mcdonald and uh He's lighter skin than me. And he's like, Jim, mm-hmm. you're such a rookie SPF 50. Come on SPF 70 at a minimum. Yeah, so those are rookie numbers. You got to pump those up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Good movie
0: quote there, Jeff. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm rather pasty myself. I have like, I have two stages of tan. Either I'm not tanned or I'm burned. There's like, like nothing in between.
1: <laughs> yeah. Once the skin peels off, there's plenty of untanned skin below it. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I try to, you know, I, I, I try to stay indoors. I I don't like the heat. I don't like the humidity. So the beach is not really my favorite thing, uh, unless it is in a more, let's call temperate climate. I'm not, I'm not about the hot sun. I'll be under the, I'll be under the umbrella enjoying the ocean breeze. And that's, that's where you'll find me.
1: Well, the best part about that trip to Myrtle beach was there was a concert going on the Carolina country music fest, a lot of great acts and. The ones that I really wanted to see were at night. So the sun was already down. The breeze was already coming in. It, the concert was pretty much right on the beach. So it was fantastic. That's a cool
0: setting for a concert. I don't think I've ever been to a beach concert, like a, a legit beach concert
1: right before, know. which is unfortunate, but I guess to each their own. <laughs> hey man, I, I enjoyed it. So, um, plenty of Bud Light available. That's not surprising. One bit. <laughs> they probably sponsored it, right? Um, I think Coors Light maybe sponsored it because there are a lot of people on stage showing Coors Light. And, um, you know, that that Denver beer is pretty popular.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Denver, why don't we get into our main topic today? She's like laughing at us, like how stupid we are as we start the show off. But um, we're going to talk uh, about, an, about a topic that we've covered before. but it's time for an update. And to help us with that, we've got Julie Smith. She's the executive director at the Identity Defined Security Alliance. Welcome back, Julie.
2: Thanks, Jeff, Jim. It's always a pleasure to be here with you all. So I appreciate, I feel, uh, appreciate the invitation.
0: I, I got a little hesitancy there when, when you were kind of saying that. And I And the reason I get that is because the mysterious way that I introduced our topic, what we're gonna be talking about is the 2022 Trends in Securing Digital Identities, which is something that we've actually been doing uh, episodes on this. I guess this is maybe our second or maybe third time that we've kind of gone around this. So the trends report has become a trend into itself. But before we get too far along, I want to make a note. You are the current record holder for a number of appearances on, on the podcast. This is your fifth appearance. You've been with us since episode 57 and then 88 and then 99 and then one forty, And now this should be episode number 152. I am, and I I have to say that I'm a little bit disappointed so far, and I'm hoping that episode five is the, is the, is the lucky one where we get to finally hear from Sly, the cat who has been suspiciously quiet in previous episodes, (laughs) makes me a little concerned. Sly, if you're out there, uh, make a noise. So we know that you're okay and that you actually exist. Um, And I'll just leave it at that, Julie. How about that? Uh, (laughs)
2: Uh, He does exist and he might, uh, he might make an appearance this time Uh, after, after five episodes. It's I think it probably is time, but let's hope maybe he doesn't just to (laughs) to spare the audience. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm not sure exactly why I have the honor of being here the most. Maybe I, uh, Maybe I reach out to you the most or uh, not sure exactly why that is, but uh, happy to have the reigning champion honor. Well, I'm happy you're joining us. And
0: and this this has been like definitely a mutual relationship. We actually got to, you and I got to actually meet for the first time face-to-face at RSA a few weeks ago. We did the proverbial fist bump and chatted on the corner uh, outside and inside the W hotel there uh, in San Francisco, which is very cool. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, we, Jim and I like to have good conversations around identity. And every time you're on, we have a good conversation around identity. And I think that's what we're going oh, forward well, to get to today. So no pressure.
2: We yeah, had none whatsoever, but it was great meeting you face-to-face. And Jim, you were sorely missed last week uh, at RSA, although uh, God only knows what you might have taken home, as apparently a lot of uh, people that <laughs> were out in San Francisco last week did. So uh, be thankful that you weren't there. And sounds like you were having a lot more fun on a beach anyway. So.
1: I did enjoy the beach, but you know, one thing I wanted to ask you, you, you are the other way to look at it is that you're the biggest repeat offender in terms of being on the show. Um, maybe you just for the audience's sake, so they don't have to go back. Jeff did a great job of talking about all the different episodes you're on, but in case they're not familiar with IDSA, just kind of give us a, <clears throat> a summary elevator pitch. What is IDSA? Yeah,
2: sure. So the IDSA are- identity defined security alliance. Uh, some people even call us IDSA, which always makes me uh, flinch a little bit. But uh, we are a uh, an organization, a not-for-profit, I call us a trade association focused on uh, creating resources that help organizations reduce the risk of an identity-related breach. Um, so all of our content is freely available on our website. It's all vendor neutral. Um, we have uh, if you incorporate all of our members, we have over 40 members who participate in uh, creating content, uh, writing blogs, uh, hosting webinars, or I host the webinars. They provide the expert uh, the expert perspectives, um, and so you know we're really all about educating uh, organizations on how they secure their digital identities. So membership wise, um, you know, I talked about more than 40, 30 of those are vendor members, um, but we also have membership opportunities for end practitioners um, or end end users, if you will, uh, in the form of contributor memberships as well as corporate memberships. So that's really for uh, individuals who are out there living in the trenches uh, in their security teams and, you know, uh, trying to drive uh, identity security in their organizations. Um, and they have an opportunity to come and network with their peers, learn from an amazing group of experts uh, in this space, um, can get CPE credits towards their uh, CISSP certification, um, and and thought leaders. We have a a great platform for people uh, if they're looking to uh, become a thought leader in the space as well. So there's lots of benefits to being part of the organization. Uh, And really the primary driver, I think, is to make an impact and give back to the community.
0: Yeah, I would definitely encourage folks to check out that contributor membership because I think it is an opportunity to be part of the identity community. I think a lot of people have great ideas out there. And, you know, for the most part, this is how Jim and I contribute is we do this stupid podcast every week. Uh, Other people like to write blogs. Other people like to do webinars, right, or speak at conferences or whatever it may be. This is another opportunity for people to get involved in this space. And there is plenty of room for people uh, to give back and contribute. So it's it's very cool. I think the other thing that that hasn't been mentioned is Identity Management Day. That's something that got started. I know we've had a few different conversations around that over the years. I think this this was the second annual Identity Management Day early, earlier this year. Uh, but your organization also kind of partnered up with it. Was it the National Cybersecurity Alliance as well? Uh, to, it was, to yeah. To promote that?
2: Yep, and yeah. So back to your <clears throat> uh, my participation five times on the on the podcast. So at least two of those were Identity Management Day. So last uh, April twelfth was our second annual um, Identity Management Day. Uh, we had a, a great virtual conference where we had five sessions and twenty five I think speakers talking about all things identity um, from you know how do we prevent identity related attacks today to what's the future of identity look like? Um, so that's, that is an important one. And, and I think a couple of those, uh, guest spots on your podcast were also related to our research, which is another, uh, main component. One of the things we're going to talk about today, but we've, we've published now, uh, four different research reports and, and to your point, Jeff, this'll be the second, uh, specific trends report. Although we've kind of over the years, pulled questions from other reports into this one, uh, with the idea that maybe over time we become the Verizon data breach investigations uh, report. Very aspirational, obviously, but just that's focused very specifically specifically on identity related breaches uh, and all things uh, around bringing identity and security teams together.
0: Well, the key to everything is consistency. That's how we've grown to be this multi million uh, listener podcast over the last several years. So definitely being consistent is an important part of that. Uh, you mentioned the future, and let's talk about sort of, you know, I guess the presence and some of the trends we've seen around this report. Uh, the 2022 trends in securing digital identities. I guess before we start to get into some of the findings, you mentioned this is the second time that it's come out. Um, for kicking down the fourth wall here, we're recording this on Monday, June 20th, but this episode won't actually go live until next Monday by the time I get around to being able to edit it. But I believe the report comes out this Wednesday, uh, was it June 22nd, is that
2: right? Correct, yep, It's uh, it'll be published on Wednesday. Um, the full report, uh, hopefully you'll see a, a number of articles uh, and different perspectives on the results of the survey. I mean, it's research, right? So the data is what the data is. Um, and we hope that uh, lots of different organizations, whether they're in the media space or member companies or uh, other organizations who are interested in the data that we're publishing, provide their commentary, their perspectives on it, use the data in the report to support, um, you know, uh, product releases and just perspectives uh, on the uh, on the industry as a whole. So you know, it's really research that we conduct. Um, kind of keeping a t- keeping tabs on these the trends in securing digital identities and and it's uh data that's really available for interpretation by the broader community so who responds to this I guess kind of
0: to kind of level set so people know where this data is coming from is it coming from companies is it coming from individuals is it coming from both I guess what what's sort of the the typical respondent look like
2: yeah so uh It is coming from individuals inside uh, sort of end-user companies across a range of industries, financial services, healthcare, uh, technology, Uh, employees over a thousand. uh, So it is really uh, a view into the enterprise. Um, It's IT security and identity professionals. And so they have responsibility for, uh, identity and identity security in some way, shape or form. Uh, we had over 500, uh, respondents to this survey. It's actually conducted by, uh, an organization we've worked with for all of our research, which is called dimensional research. And they, uh, that, you know, part of the value that they provide is they do have a group of people that, um, are open to taking these kind of surveys. Um, so it's, uh, yeah it's it's a it's a good group and and they fill it out uh, wearing their company hats uh, and although this year we did at sneak in a couple of questions to get their own personal uh perspectives around uh password security and that kind of thing so but uh, otherwise they are uh, speaking on behalf of a practitioner inside an organization
0: so I think that is interesting taking that practitioner response because sometimes you know I think in the identity industry sometimes we kind of see it through our own lens of, well, this is the way it should be and, you know, how we would want to see it done, but that doesn't always match up with the real world (laughs) and how it's actually getting done. So I I always like research like this that is, you know, taking real world people and asking them real world questions and what are the challenges and things are coming out. And it, it leads me to my next question, which is, you know, based on this report that's going to be coming out, is there, what was the most interesting thing or finding that you think came out of it?
2: Yeah, i think this this year's report um we continue to ask the question every year obviously because it's a trend report uh about uh or whether an organization has experienced an identity related breach and and then this year um the number was 84 percent uh compared to last year 79 percent. now the time frames are a little bit different this year we asked have you an experienced an identity related breach in the last year um in the last report we asked in a, a about a two-year time frame, so a little bit um, of a difference just in terms of the time frame, but 84% of those organizations over 79 last year. Um, And we also asked, uh, could this breach have been prevented or minimized? Uh, And We asked specifically about what we would consider some uh, basic identity and access management um capabilities as well as the the security outcomes that we recommend, ninety six percent said that uh, that the breach could have been prevented or minimized. Um, and the leading contender was MFA. So, you know, had an organization implemented mfa for all of their users then that breach would have been prevented and mfa is one of those things we've been talking about for i think a very long time and has been a recommendation coming out of um the best practices organizations for quite some time so i if there's just a couple of things in the report that you'll see that uh are just the basics. Uh and you know these breaches that end up being relatively significant could have been prevented had some of these technologies uh and capabilities been implemented.
1: Yeah, when I saw that 84% identity breaches um to me that was an alarming statistic, but this other alarming statistic that I want to point to that was in the report, when I read that I was like there's no there's it's pretty obvious why this is happening, so it was <clears throat> 51% of organizations typically remove access for a former employee within a day, but only 20, 26% always do. I mean, that to me is an alarming statistic. Like, are you kidding me? 26% of organizations feel that they consistently remove access within a day. That's That's not even close to high enough. Now I have my thoughts on maybe why that is, but I'd love to hear what your thoughts are and also, you know, throw it over to Jeff for his comments. And, you know, what, what do you believe leads to such a low number in that area?
2: Yeah, I, from my perspective, it's all about automation. We, I know you guys have, uh, had Dan Jones on the, on the show, uh, at least once. And, and he talks about automation, uh, just in, in, general, uh, is one of the, the key ways that a lot of, uh, our, our problems could be solved um but you think about it the number of applications that any any given employee has access to on a on a daily basis to do their job if they decide to leave the organization or they change roles uh probably don't know what applications uh that employee has access to much less being able to remove uh permissions from one place and have it replicate across all the applications. So I think it's just a, a time intensive exercise then, and a lot of people, uh, a lot of organizations have not implemented automation to make that easy. That's my, Jeff. that's my
1: perspective. Uh, Jeff. Jeff, what are your thoughts? I, I agree with Julie. I
0: think this is not a situation where people don't want to do the right things. I think it's a lack of awareness that even these accounts exist, um, You know, removing access from all of the different places that a person might have access to in an organization, the larger the organization, the harder that becomes, the more decentralized the organization when it comes to identity and access, you know, management as either a program or, you know, provisioning, whatever it might be also becomes you know, much more difficult. Um, I didn't want to get into this, but now I feel like I have to, because this has affected me literally in the real world today. If you've been following the show, you know that I am in the process of moving across state lines, uh, moving from, you know, Chicago, Illinois area to North Carolina, and of course, anybody who's purchased a home knows that you're working with lawyers and mortgage companies and realtors and a whole bunch of other things, um, I was supposed to close on my house this Wednesday, the 22nd. That is not happening because of an identity and access management problem by A combination of the mortgage company I'm working with and an individual within a law firm and access not being removed from another law firm that this individual used to work for that caused a whole bunch of issues with data going to the wrong law firm. Mine, in this case, all because this person's access was not removed when she transferred from one law firm to another law firm. So that I am a living world example <laughs> of, you know, now my, not, this is a first world problem. So I'm not going to, you know, moan and whine and complain about it too much, but I uh, supposed to close on Wednesday and now I'm scrambling to close by Friday so that I'm not homeless over the weekend <laughs> in, in North Carolina, waiting for, waiting for papers to sign. So, um, I, do I believe this number? Yes, absolutely. As I have now seen in the real world and it is affecting my life. <laughs>
1: Once I told you, I don't think homelessness is a first world problem, but okay. (laughs) But yeah, no, good story. Uh, You know, kind of, I think I have a pessimistic and an optimistic view of this. My pessimistic view is when you brought the key um, point there, Jeff, which is removing all access. When you think about removing all, when you think about the 26% of, of organizations that do remove people within one day, it's probably not all access it's probably active directory account. And the person responding to the survey feels confident that removing active directory removes quote unquote all access. The reality of it is most organizations have, you know, many, many applications that, um, are not covered just by the active directory account. The, the optimistic or the, the alternative view to this is, um, I think Julie's right in terms of automation, but I think, you know, there are a lot of organizations that are just under invested in IM and some that are smaller organizations that, um, it's not that they're appropriately invested, they're under invested because this is becoming such an important area, but they might have one or two IT people and they're doing everything from, you know, cloning laptops and supporting phones and doing email and, Doing, oh yeah, doing identity and access management as well. So um, I, I think that could have a big impact in terms of driving down um, this this number as well. But you know even the 26, if you want to take the pessimistic view, it's even the 26% number could potentially be inflated. Um, but I, I did want to ask Julie another question, which was um, another statistic that I was looking at was around, risky behavior being reduced when executives put focus on identity security. A, a lot of the, the focus was around, you know, if the executives speak publicly to employees about password security, uh, but also a statistic about IT security stakeholders admitting to risky security behavior. So I wondered if you could add a little bit of flavor to uh, each of those areas.
2: Yeah, sure. So that question um kind of came out of uh, a research report that we did. I think I talked about it already, the stakeholder perspective which we kind of tied into the line of business um user and how, you know, how do, does identity and access management affect them and and one of the things we asked that line of business group and it was really kind of a question that we put in there just because we thought it might be interesting to get some perspective on just how how well does the average user protect their corporate passwords? And so we asked uh, a list of probably a list of risky behaviors, things like you know have you shared passwords through Slack or Microsoft Teams? Uh, do you reuse passwords? Do um, you write passwords down on a sticky note? Uh, you know just just things that uh, I think we would all consider uh, poor secure uh, password hygiene but yet we probably all do them too um, and uh and we thought it'd be interesting to try and get at this sort of what's the state of uh, prevention of identity related breaches as it relates to culture and human behaviors and protecting passwords right uh it ties back to the idea a lot of times uh it's a cliche that gets thrown around a lot is that uh people are the weakest link in the security chain and so uh, we wanted to try and tap into that as well as to tap into the idea that uh, it's not just about security technology, but uh, it's also about just creating a security-minded culture um, within an organization. So um, that's really where the question came from. So we, we pulled a question forward from one of the previous research reports and we wanted to ask specifically IT uh and security and identity people about uh how well they protect their passwords and so what we found is i think 40 40 percent of them said oh you know we never uh we never uh display any of these bad behaviors uh versus i think it was in the 30s for line of business folks um and then again kind of getting at this culture and security mindedness within an organization we thought well is there any any way that uh, you know how would how would a culture evolve and uh, one way that it might evolve is through leadership support, of uh, protecting passwords. And so um, we asked a question uh, around what's you know do executives speak about password security in your organization and, and who is the highest level? um executives so is it is it the board level is it senior executives is it security executives is it you know uh, c- uh security leadership and we, what we found is that uh and then how do those two things correlate right so um do people take better care of their passwords if security leadership is talking about how important it is um in their organization uh, from an overall security perspective. And we found that 72% of the of the respondents to this survey said um, that they do take better care of their passwords uh, when an executive uh, is talking about it. So it's just kind of trying to get at this, uh, you know, does culture affect their individual behavior? And I think the answer is yes. Um, so, That was sort of really the, you know, really the angle that we took that the the state of prevention in 2022 is not necessarily always tied to technology and expertise in the organization, but it also is tied to behaviors and culture. And and we did ask some questions around training uh, as well. So, you know, kind of looking at it from both of those perspectives and and maybe a little bit removing the idea that uh, that. Users are your are a primary attack vector, and turning that into users could be a primary line of defense.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I find that research really kind of reinforces other research that I've seen that, you know, continuing to drive security awareness to the organization, and it's not a one-time thing. You have to repeatedly kind of get the message out and make sure that people understand, you know, that it's, it's, uh, it's something that you need to be aware of at all times. Um, I wanted to ask one more question on the report, and that was around something I found interesting and timely, Russia and Ukraine. So there were a couple of questions around it. And the one that, that I guess struck my eye the most was the question about, and and this is what the question was, was has the recent Russia Ukraine crisis increased visibility of your company's identity and security activities among non-technology leadership, and I'm looking at this pie chart. And it tells me that two thirds of your respondents said, yes, there was some increase now it might've been a minor increase. It might've been a significant increase, maybe somewhere in between. But I look at this and say, okay, clearly there has been some impact on the visibility of, um, you know, are we properly protected? Do we have the proper identity security in place, right? Those sorts of things, um, I guess any. Any color you want to add to that or or are my findings kind of jiving with, with kind of what you're thinking as well, or am I totally crazy?
2: Um, I would align with you, but I will tell you that, you know, this is data, right? As my, my researcher pounds into me, this is data and, and you know, you, you present the data and then people form their own opinions from it or own perspectives. And they kind of look at it through their own lens. I, uh, you know, as part of our our uh, process for getting the word out about this re- report, we've been doing pitching to the press, and I did have one um, one request that came back through uh, from a, a publication, a, a journalist that's going to write an article for us, which is fantastic. Um, and their perspective was, "Wow, it doesn't really seem at all like there's been uh, an increase awareness." <laughs> Or you know, increased visibility or increased budget because of the Ukraine uh, Russia conflict, which I thought was really interesting, right? So it just it go, just goes to say that you know we all kind of I guess it's back to the is the dress gold and white or is it what is it blue and white or whatever right yeah. the same dress and everybody saw it a little bit differently I and mean, that's exactly how it is with data so like
0: um, yeah. Well, here's a Tommy Boy, quote, Tommy Boy quote for you. A simple no
1: would have been sufficient.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Got to throw the movie quotes in where appropriate. So, Julie, <laughs> last last week's episode, we asked a group of identity, uh what the difference is between digital identity and identity and access management, those two terms. Uh, you titled this Report 2022 Trends in Securing Digital Identities. So since we didn't get your answer as part of that last episode, I'm going to pose that question, put you on the spot and pose that question to you now. (laughs) What's the difference between digital identity and identity and access management? And keep in mind that we had seven different answers from seven different people. Yeah,
0: (laughs) nobody has answered this identically yet. So this is your chance to give your flavor to it.
2: Well, I'm afraid to answer from Jeff because it's going to be, he's going to want just a very concise answer. So I will, uh, <laughs> I'll say the that. Floor um, is yours. Yeah. So I think of a, dig- a digital identity as the, the thing, the identity, the attributes, um, you know, maybe it's the biometrics associated with, but it's the thing that we're protecting and managing and validating. Right. Um, and then identity and access management. We actually, would suggest, and we have a blog out here that talks about it that identity and access management has evolved to identity security because um, it's kind of gone beyond uh, really access management. and it's uh, identity security is about getting to a trusted identity. And you know whether it's validating it on the front front end, it's you know protecting it through authentication and and you know maybe offers author- authorization and then it's just the management of it some of the things we talked about around deprovisioning. So that's really identity security is an evolution of identity and access management. And then in our world, identity defined security is taking that trusted identity, uh, adding some context to it and using that combination of things to protect resources. Um, So that's my answer.
0: I think it's a good one. I think now we have eight different answers. I think this is really interesting from a, just, I guess the psychological aspect of identity and access management is that even people who are in the identity space can't necessarily agree on the terminology and the definitions. And I think that's actually okay. I'm I'm fine with that because I think we do have different perspectives that we bring to it. Um, all right, let's go ahead and start to wrap things up. Cause I know Julie, um, you've been super generous your time. You're about to hit Identiverse. I will just say again, congratulations on this research. It is awesome stuff. I love reading it. I'd like to also cite it in some of my conversations that I have with uh, other folks in the industry or customers or clients. I would certainly encourage people uh, who haven't checked it out already, you know, go to uh, the Identity Defined Security Alliance website, idsalliance.org. The research will be there and uh, definitely want people to check it out, but it wouldn't be an Identity at the Center episode without getting into something silly slash stupid at the end. what is your favorite comedian or style of comedy?
1: Hmm.
2: So I um, have a new favorite comedian. Um, and I was in New York City a couple weekends ago and we went to the Comedy Cellar. And somewhat, I, I, actually a couple of familiar faces came on the stage, which was amazingly cool. But one of them was a guy that I have seen in Billions. I don't know if you guys watch the show Billions on HBO. A guy by the name of Mike Verbiglia, which I kind of knew but didn't really know that he was uh, a stand-up comedian, and it turns out he is a very popular stand-up comedian, and he's my new favorite comedian. He is uh, I, I have thought a lot about this. I kind of think he's the clean version of Dave Chappelle, and I love Dave Chappelle because I think he has uh, um, is an amazing storyteller His topics are a little bit interesting, Um, and I think Mike Birbiglia is the same way. He just he is an amazing storyteller. He has an interesting way of of kind of weaving things together, Um, and uh, I'm a fan. I've been binge watching and maybe watched a couple episodes twice of his uh, Netflix series on uh, you know stand up comedy series. So. He's my new favorite comedian, and uh, I, I just love his storytelling style. Uh, and it's uh, he's fantastic.
0: That's a good pick. I like Mike Riga a lot. I'm a big fan of comedy, and he is definitely up there. I think you're totally right. He's a great storyteller. And I think that's what separates a lot of you know the I guess the good folks who are good at comedy stand up specifically is being able to tell that story. I am just curious. I mean, for people who aren't familiar, Comedy Central in New York City is pretty legendary comedy, um, club that a lot of big name comics will go to. And sometimes they sort of drop in unannounced even, and kind of, you know, you might go there to see one act and all of a sudden you're seeing two or three other people who are, you know, working out material and you know you're able to kind of, kind of peek behind the curtain. I'm curious who, did you see anyone else there besides Mike McGregor from a name recognition standpoint?
2: Well, there were, I think there were five comedians, and I'm not going to get all their names right. Uh, maybe six. Actually, I, I thought uh, the NC, I mean, the, it started out, and the MC was fantastic. And we're like, wow, okay, this guy's great. Like, who else is coming on? They all had, it was funny because they all had uh, sort of Netflix relationships in one way or another. Uh, Ryan Hamilton, I don't know if you know mm-hmm. that name. I think he's on, he's on Netflix. He was there. Uh, Chris DiStefano, which apparently he, is, he yep. was the headliner he's not somebody that I know, but, uh, the, you know, the younger set that we were with a couple 20, uh, mid 20 year olds were like, Oh my gosh, he's the best. Uh, he was the headliner. Um, and yeah, the other, the other names escaped me at this point, but, uh, it, we just went into a cold and had tickets and, you know, just all of a sudden these fantastic comedians, every single one of them came on stage. So it was very cool.
0: That's awesome. I think that's actually a bucket list item for me is I've never been able to hit a, a venue like that. Go see comedians. The is a good one. He's like a New York comic. So he's kind of well-known in sort of that space. And you'll find that there's like East coast, West coast, uh, you know, kind of circles of, of comedians and things like that. Um, Jim, how about yourself? Who's your favorite comedian or do you have a favorite style of comedy?
1: So it's interesting when we, when I first heard this question, the The name Richard Pryor popped into my head. I've really liked some of those old comedy routines because the the further you go back in seventies and eighties and stuff, every time you watch them, you're like, "Oh my god, that's so wrong!" (laughs) You know, it's and you know, you would definitely get canceled in today's you know world. So you know, even as you move through, like I love um, you know uh, Chris Rock. I love Chappelle. I mean, all those comedians to me are fantastic, but I don't only love like the outrageous. I love like Seinfeld. I love um, Bob Newhart, like that dry, you know, sarcastic comedy. Um, And I also love like, what what would you call like Saturday Night Live and In Living Color and- Like sketch comedy.
2: Sketch based, yeah.
1: Yeah, like Like sketch based comedy, yeah. Yeah, sketch, and um, I was just watching again the other day. Remember I brought it up to you, is um, that Chappelle, the Chappelle show where he had, you know, Rick James and uh was it? Eddie Murphy's brother? Oh, my God. That's like one of the funniest things Charlie I've ever Murphy. seen on TV. Yep. <laughs> Charlie Murphy. Charlie Murphy. Yeah. Hilarious. So anybody who hasn't seen that skit before, go to YouTube and search for Rick James, Charlie Murphy, you'll cry your eyes out.
0: Yeah, it's a good Chappelle show bit, for sure. I, you know, there are so many good comedians, and I've been fortunate enough to hear a lot of a lot of good material. I don't know if I could narrow it down to one. I think I go in phases. So, like, right now, what I've been listening to a lot of is Anthony Jeselnik, and Daniel Tosh, for some reason, keeps coming up but there's also Patton Oswalt, who's a brilliant stand-up. Most people kind of may not be familiar with the stand-up because they see him in Marvel kind of things and TV stuff. Um, Birbigli is good. Um, If you really like comedy, I think one of my favorite things of all time is it was a movie, but it's really just two hours of stand-up, and it's the original kings of comedy. And, you know, I had Steve Harvey, Bernie Mac, um, I'm trying to think who the other folks were, but I laughed my you know what off for a good solid 2 hours. I actually saw it in the theater. <laughs> um and it it was so good. It was so funny. Bernie Mac's stand up you know as part of the original Kings of Comedy is in my mind one of the most legendary performances. I think he absolutely nailed it and it was fantastic. But there's been so many good ones it's hard for me to hard for me to pick one because like, I think I'd enjoy them all and there's so many different styles when it comes to it but
1: yeah, I guess sometimes that would be my, I'm like my laughing so hard I'm crying and I'm also feeling guilty for laughing at what he just
0: said. <laughs> well I think yeah, that's part of the i yeah. on that. Well I think that's community I think I mean I think that's part of comedy right I think it's sometimes it's personal sometimes it's raw sometimes it's hitting on raw nerves within sort of the public consciousness uh, but being able to make light of it or joke about it right i think you know I'm, I'm perfectly willing to make jokes at my own expense uh obviously so um so yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um, at the end of the day you know there's nothing better than just like a really awesome belly laugh right i mean that's yeah. there's it's just like i don't know it feeds the soul i think so it's it's uh, a very subjective
0: but i'm totally with you it's like you know there is comedy out there for anybody. Uh, another good one is Ronnie Chang. If he's from, uh, well, I guess he's from The Daily Show, but he has a stand-up. His earlier stand-up from, I want to say it's like 2016 or 2017, uh, is on Netflix. Highly recommend it. He has a great bit about Amazon Prime that my wife and I have been quoting at each other <laughs> for the last two weeks uh, since we sat down and watched it, but uh, that's another good one um who was the guy
2: that was uh i know you probably want to wrap it up but i'm gonna ask you this question who was the guy that was uh, a co-writer with uh dave on the dave Chappelle show he has a series of netflix specials too that are super funny um brennan maybe is his last name i think he is very funny neil brennan yeah neil brennan Yeah, he's a good one yes
0: yeah, I think he's on you'll see him every once in a while on Comedy Central. Um yeah, it's it's interesting to see, you know, some of these comedians who are they might be stand up, they might be kind of like a writer on a show like Conan O'Brien, you know. He's so, I guess I don't even consider him a stand up comedian, but you know, he's obviously a performer, but he used to write for like The Simpsons, right? And he was on Saturday Night Live as a writer, you know, things like that. It is interesting to see some of these folks kind of pull around, you know, John Mulaney is another example or Bill Hader, Bill Hader's Stefan on Saturday Night Live, I think is one Mm -hmm. of the funniest things ever. And if you know the backstory behind it, the fact that, so John Mulaney and Bill Hader would write, would write the skit. Bill Hader would perform it, but John Mulaney would sneak in new things that Bill Hader would read for the first time on air. So whenever, if you ever Google Stefan and Saturday Night Live, He can never hold it together because he's literally reading the cue cards and seeing it for the first time. What are you supposed to say? And, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily truly safe for work, maybe a little bit PG-13 sometimes, but it was on Saturday Night Live, so it's probably okay. But I think that is also one of the most hilarious, like, bits ever is, is the whole Stefan thing, the saga over the course of the years that that took.
2: That's hilarious. I had never heard that story. I actually just bought tickets to go see John Mulaney. He's on tour now. Well, oh, he's I see him in October, yeah. he is and right. yeah, we're trying to wrap up too. anyway, <laughs> I have to share a story because
0: John Mullaney has a as a bit called the and Peppa Diner or something like that. and the, and basically, the story is he went to have lunch with a friend. and they the the diner he was at had a jukebox. And it was three plays for a dollar or something like that. and And so they put in, like, I don't know, three or four bucks. and they had like twenty one plays. And the whole bit was they played. Um, like seven or eight, um, what's, uh, what's new pussycat, um, by who's, who is this Sings that, um, I can't remember who sings it at the moment, but it's a, it's a famous song, Neil diamond, I think something like that. And they played it eight, like seven or eight times in a row, just to watch what people did in the diner and people are freaking out like, oh, it can't be that again, and then, oh, it's Tom Jones. That's what it was. Tom Jones. Uh, and then they played, uh, it's not unusual by Tom Jones once. And then they started playing more what's new Pussycats by Tom Jones. And the whole, the whole thing, the whole bit is very funny. I'm not doing it justice here, but I'm only bringing it up because I got to do that bit in real life. A few weeks ago, we went to a restaurant, they had one of those touch tunes where you can like control the jukebox through an app. So I spent, I'm, I'm I am proud and ashamed to say this, I spent $18. <laughs> to buy enough tokens to be able to play What's New Pussycat seven different times. And I will tell you that I got exactly the same reaction from the bit as I did in, in real life as, as what happened in the bit. It was amazing, awesome, and I'm I'm happy I was finally able to pull it off. <laughs> so I, so that tells you that I, I I spend my money well and wisely <laughs> and my time well and wisely as well. So yeah, that's what happened. All right. Now let's go ahead and wrap things up because I think I've totally derailed this conversation and I will continue talking for comedy for hours on end. Uh, Julie, thank you so much for being with us. Um, you can find the report. It'll be up on the IDS Alliance website uh, starting June 22nd. So really, by the time people listen to this, uh, it'll be available. Uh, any other things that you want to get out there for the folks who are listening, Julie, before we wrap it up?
2: um, I don't think so. Any of my usual pitches, check out our website. We've got a lot of, uh, vendor neutral resources, everything is freely available. There's cases where I might ask you for your contact info. Otherwise, um, you know, check it out. There's, there's a lot of good stuff out there as well as the the research report that, that we'll be publishing on Wednesday.
1: Very cool. How about Jim yourself? Any final thoughts for this week? I would ask everybody to support the IDSA in whatever way you can. If you're a practitioner check out the practitioner membership if you're if you work for a company in the uh, digital identity industry whatever that means uh consider you know pushing your company to join yeah right on give back thanks, plenty thanks of thanks
0: for the plug plenty of voices and spaces for this yeah idsalliance.org um all right we'll go ahead and wrap it up this week um, we do have uh, at some point, we'll reconnect on our weekly live stream at idac.live. In the meantime, we've got the YouTube replays out there. We're on the web, IdentityCenter.com. We're on Twitter uh, at idac podcasts. And fingers crossed, this will actually be my last podcast in the Chicago area. So the next time we talk, most likely I will be in North Carolina. We will see if companies get their IMX together and, and let me have that have that little win so <laughs> all right with that thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk with everyone in the next one. Thanks for listening to the identity at the center podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and visit us on the web at identityatthecenter.com.